Hey, this is Nathan Jenkins from Loon Mountain Ministry, and I want to thank you for checking out our podcast today. We welcome you to join us, the trees, the rocks, and all of creation as we worship our great God. Enjoy the message. This is Job 3, 1 to 10. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said, a man is conceived, let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that light be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. How's it going? You guys can be seated. Thank you, Anthony. That was awesome. Even though it was a super downer for (laughs) set of verses, We've been going through a series, uh, Marcus has talked a lot about it, the Wisdom Series, because uh, you look around at our staff, at our staff meeting on Wednesday mornings, and like Marcus has said, the average age is 30 years old, and we have spunk, we have energy, we do a lot of stuff, but what we lack is wisdom. And uh, there's nobody that that's more true than with me, especially on that team. Um, but uh, it's been interesting as we've gotten, we've started to dive into some of the books of the Bible that talk about wisdom and the wisdom books, which uh, we know as Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And uh, we've been talking about Job and started the discussion um, as we've gone through chapters one and chapter two, um, and you get this really interesting back and forth between God, kind of in a staff meeting, and, and between God and what was uh, called Satan or the accuser. And uh, all of a sudden, God gives permission for Job to basically lose everything. And what I want to talk today about, because uh, we finished up chapter two last time, last week, And chapter 3 starts right into this long conversation. You can break up the book of Job into a couple of parts. The first part is essentially the interactions between God and Satan. And what happens as as Job loses everything. Okay, Chapters 3 all the way to chapter 38, or I guess 37, is this back and forth between Job and these three friends at first, and then one friend comes in a little bit later, as they uh, discuss, rationalize through what just happened. Okay, because in the very beginning of the book, 
God said that he was a blameless man, and, uh, and his friends wanted to make the case that, well, Job, you know, and honestly, the first time I read Job, I was like, I, I looked at, at what, the, what his friends were telling him, and I said, oh, that sounds like good advice. Sounds like Job thinks really highly of himself, and maybe he should be knocked down a few pegs. But God himself said that Job was blameless. And, and Job essentially was making the case like, hey, listen, I didn't do, like, this isn't punishment for something. That, uh, but he wanted to know why. It, he, di he didn't believe it was punishment, but he wanted to take God and, and ask God questions about why this was allowed. And so today we get to the first words that Job spoke after his friends came. So uh, the last couple verses of chapter 2 talk about um, how Job, he, he, they would tear their clothing. It was funny because I, I remember Marcus speaking last week about how, what his friends did, and his friends came and sat with him and were silent for seven days. Seven days. Um, and for me, it would be hard to sit and be silent and just enter into a situation. Marcus talked about entering into a situ situation, and you don't always have to talk or give the right answer. And I have a tendency, and I know Marcus has the tendency, to want to feel like we have to fix something. And, and sometimes we don't enter in because we love the person. Sometimes we enter in because we want to fix the person. And, uh, and what's cool is, is these friends come and sit with, some, sit with him for seven days. Seven days. Um, I, I feel like I don't get, grasp my, my mind around that when you just sit for seven days. What was Job thinking about for seven days? There was no break because it's not like he was like, oh, like, let me just feel bad. Well, let me think about this other business plan I have. Well, guess what? He lost all his money. All his plans are gone. And uh, man, it's just, it's hard to wrap my, because for seven days he sat there and pondered what had just happened. And um, today I really want to talk about rock bottom. Okay, rock bottom. We hear this term floating around, uh, and and maybe some of you guys have used it. Okay, so uh, it all started with uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. They used this term for when somebody uh, they hit rock bottom, which meant that um, essentially they had uh, someone had re uh, reached a point where he or she has nothing else to lose. That's rock bottom. Now. I can think of at least one time in my life where I said in my head that I reached rock bottom. Now, did I actually reach rock bottom? Could I have lost more? Absolutely. Absolutely, I could have lost more. Um, but in my head, I was at rock bottom. And, and you know what? I'll, I will say I'm very grateful for that because God used my perception of being at rock bottom to point me to him. That was essentially my story of how I came to know Jesus is because I had this, I felt as though I hit rock bottom, as though I had nothing left. And I finally decided to follow Jesus because I felt like I was there. Now, uh, it, it is an interesting thing as we think about rock bottom. Now, most, most people, when they hit rock bottom, it's usually self-inflicted, okay? I can tell you that in my scenario, me getting to rock bottom was my fault. Completely my fault. I have no one else to blame. 
but I just sat there in anguish because it doesn't matter if it's your fault or not. You're still like, you're still not really all that excited to be there. And, um, and so I, uh, I, I was thinking about Job's scenario, okay? Now, if anyone has ever hit rock bottom, it's Job, ever. I mean, what else could he lose? He lost all his money, he lost his land, he lost 10 kids. I didn't even realize that until I really started to read through the, the text a little bit more. You know, I don't have any children and I don't know what that's like. I can't even imagine how painful it must be to lose one child, much less 10. And, and it was all in one instance, all in one accident. And that was five seconds after he found out that he lost all his money. He lost everything he had. Now, it's funny because that was the first chapter of Job. All right. I would have already said he reached rock bottom. And then, and then God comes to Satan again and he says, he says look at, my, look at my, uh, uh, this, this man Job. He's, he's blameless. He's still, he still loves me and he still follows me because Job still worshiped God after the first set of, uh, not consequences, but set of sufferings, I'll call it. And, and then Satan's like, oh, come on. Like, you, you can take everything away from a man, but if, until you take his life or until you take away his health, then, then he'll curse you. And so then God allows that. Now, last Sunday... Um, I, uh, I got into a bike accident up at Loon, uh, which is not that fun. It was not super terrible, but I, I, I cut the inside of my lip on the top and the bottom. I don't know if you guys have had that happen before. And then after a couple of days of that, the, the, it, it starts to heal up, but it's not, it's not like getting a scar on your skin. It's constantly irritating. I can't tell you how terrible and how much I hate brushing my teeth right now. It's awful because they're on my top and my bottom. And I've got these sores and they're only in my mouth. And man, if I ever thought I was at rock bottom, then I could always think, man, if I just had a couple sores in my mouth, then it would be the worst. And Job had sores all over his body now. And so anyways, that was just an illustration to sores really stink. So, so feel bad for me and pray for me. Um, anyways, uh, so Job, I mean, Job lost everything and now he lost his health and man, did he do good, man, he did good. Let's, I want to go over just some of the things that Job said in response so far. Okay. So if you guys have Bibles, you can turn to Job chapter 1. Okay, Job chapter 1. This is all we hear from jo about Job and what Job says. Job chapter 1, verse 5. Okay, And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. Talking about his kids. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and curse God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. Okay, he starts out, he, he's a man of God, and his, his, his kids go out to party and celebrate, which is not bad. It's, but he says, well, maybe, 
maybe some of them have sinned in the midst of that. So I'm going to go offer burnt, burnt, uh, burnt sacrifices for all of them. Okay, that's Job 1. Now, that's pre-suffering. Okay? Let's see him post-suffering. Chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. Really good. That was just after he found out he lost all his kids, all his money, all his land, everything. Okay? But before he lost his health. Okay, now he loses his health. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 10. And this is right after his wife comes to him, or his wife comes to him. Then his wife, uh, this is verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? I mean, no, so that's, that's all we hear from Job. So far, Job is doing pretty exceptional at facing this suffering. He's not pointing the finger at somebody else. He's not, and it's not that he's saying that he, he accepts it as a consequence, but he's, but he's continuing to worship God. He's continuing um, to trust. What was that? Was that a weird noise? I thought, I, okay, I thought something had turned off. Anyways, he continued to worship God through this. Now, then we get to chapter 3, and things start to change. I don't know. It sounded like something, like, turned off. <laughs> okay. All right. Drew Diskin. Okay. That was, yeah. I wasn't sure if that was the live stream or something. Anyways, um, what was really interesting, so you get to, you get to chapter 3, and all of a sudden, Job, he, he says, Cursed was the day that I was born. Cursed was the day I was born. I mean, this is probably one of the worst or most depressing 10 verses that I've read in the Bible. I don't know about you guys. Let the day perish on which I was born. <laughs> and the night that said a man was conceived, let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Now, there are a couple instances in the Bible, and this, is, this really reminded me of another instance. A couple instances in the Bible where somebody wished that they were dead. And, um, and the, the one that this reminded me of, okay, because Job, he was doing really, really well. It reminded me of the Apostle Paul, okay? The Apostle Paul in, uh, in Philippians... He, he talked about wishing that he were dead in a, a not quite exact carbon copy of this, but he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, uh, and as, I, as I read this text, I'm like, man, I, I wanted to look a little bit back and forth. And so I want to read Philippians chapter 1, if you guys can turn to there. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. I'll read that in a second, but um, just to give a little context, 
um, Paul has been traveling around much, yes, uh, Philippians 1, verses 21 to 26. He's been traveling around um, essentially the, to the Mediterranean, to different places throughout the Mediterranean, um, just planting churches wherever he goes, facing opposition wherever he goes, being put in prison, being beaten for, for sharing his faith. It wasn't that he was doing anything wrong. It might have been wrong to what the people thought, but it wasn't wrong to what God thought. God wanted him to go out and share the gospel and make disciples. And, and he was doing this, and he was facing great, great persecution. And, uh, and here is Paul as Paul faces persecution. In verse 21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, or to die, and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to, uh, cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So here we see another man who is desiring to die. Okay. Now, I don't want to get into a discussion about comparing suffering, but what... What I do want to look at is like, well, what was it? Like Job was doing so good. Okay, he was he was following God and he was he was worshiping God in his suffering, and he he got to a point where he just like, man. I, and honestly, I don't blame him because I'm probably closer to the Job than I am to the Paul. But. Uh, and it's, it's laughable for me to even compare myself to Job because even the fact that he said the things he already said is exceptional, um, exceptional faith in God. And as I started to compare the reactions to suffering, I, I kind of started to see um, a little bit of maybe why. Why was it that Paul was able to Rejoice, or why was it that Paul was able to, you know, I, I mean, he wrote the book of Philippians is widely known as like the book of joy, and he wrote that while he was in prison. Why is that? And uh, it, it seems as though they have a different heart. As you read those ten verses from Job chapter three, and as you read those verses from Philippians chapter one, you see a different heart, a different focus. You see Paul sought death as gain because that means he'd be reconciled to God. His, his aim was to get to God. He wanted to be with God. Job wanted to escape the suffering that he was in. I don't blame him, but that's just what it was. I mean, he just lost everything. Paul wrote uh, Philippians Four, verses 4 through 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This is the same book. He's still in prison. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. Be reasonable to everyone because the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. My wife's smiling at me because we've been working on scripture memory. Um, anyways, like Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Cast, cast your, your worries and anxieties on him and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But what did Job write? Let the day perish on which I was born. Now, I don't want to really like, you know, bring down the hammer on Job because he's done really well, but I'm just, we're just looking at this text here. And Job is pretty bummed. And he has his focus, maybe not so much on... God, but maybe a little bit more on his suffering, his, his focus, his, his, where is he looking? It's changed a little bit. Paul sought after the souls of men in the face of persecution. He traveled everywhere. He traveled all across, uh, like I said, the Mediterranean, all the way to Rome, which in that, in that day was insane because they didn't have cars. They didn't have they didn't have planes. They had ships that, you know, he, that would get shipwrecked all the time. And he got shipwrecked multiple times on his way to Rome. And, and he still went, and he faced persecution all along the way. In fact, the only reason he went to Rome was to have a hearing in front of Caesar because he appealed to Caesar. So he was actually just going to Rome to go to court. And he worked that out. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. He worked that out so he could go to Rome to go to court so that he could preach the gospel in Rome. I talk about a weird way to spread the gospel, right? Like, you know, I came to New Hampshire because there was snowboarding and it was fun and I saw that I would, you know, could snowboard and I liked it and I wanted to use that. But like, never in my mind did it, did I think like, wow, like if I get arrested, then I could like appeal to the federal court and they could send me over to this other place because that's where I want to end up. Or, or like maybe find a way to get put in prison so I can preach in the prison like that. I mean, like Paul is really interesting, but that's what he did. Paul sought after the souls. That was the, that was the fruit. That was the fruit of where his focus was. Job, uh, and as we read more through these these chapters 3 all the way to 37, we'll see that Job sought answers from God as an explanation for his suffering. He wanted God to answer him. What, like, what's the deal, God? I was, I was good. I didn't break your rules. You know, I did, you know, sacrifices for my kids, even if they maybe didn't even sin, you know, and, and this is what I get. And we'll see in chapter 38, as God shows up, what God thinks of Job's questioning. And God answers Job by questioning him. But I see this, this difference. I see this difference in heart 
I see this difference in what they're looking at. Okay, it, it should be noted that both of these men were not at rock bottom in the sense because Paul was in prison and Job was, had lost everything. It should be noted that neither of them got in those situations because they were naughty. Okay, they, Neither of them were naughty. Neither of them were, were sinning against God and that was God's punishment for them. Okay? <laughs> neither of them put themselves in that situation because they disobeyed God. So neither of, neither of those sufferings were because of, of you know, some sort of divine judgment. Okay? But they yet still receive suffering. If you mess up, like I have many, many times, and I've gotten myself in loads of trouble with lots of different things, okay, it, <laughs> I should expect that there's going to be consequences in some sense. Okay? And, and a lot of times those are direct, and a lot of times those are physical. Now, um, I, I don't know that God's going to, if I do something rude to my wife, I don't know that God's going to smite me or something like that. He might. There are instances in the Bible that people did things that sinned against God and he immediately punished them. Okay? The, the scenarios that we're talking about right here are not those scenarios, though. Okay? So I, I don't want to put that, I don't want to test God by doing something wrong to see if he will. But at the same time, I don't believe that God's just divinely getting ready to punish everybody. Okay? You know what's interesting about our world today is we are all so excited for judgment or justice to be served and, and for all the wrongs to be righted now. You see that in the apostles? The apostles went and they, and they wanted a reckoning. They wanted, you know, when the people didn't accept Jesus' message, they, they, they were like, well, Jesus, can't we just call fire down from heaven because they didn't believe? And Jesus is like, no, that's, no, that's not what we're here for. I'm not ready to bring a reckoning. And so often we as the church are just dying and beating for God to have a reckoning here in the world and purge this world of the evil that is in it. But but don't we know that if this world is purged of evil, it's going to purge everything in this world that's been touched by sin, which is everything that we love, everything that we know, myself included, everything. And God, in his great patience and love for us, has stretched out this time for us to trust in him and he's patient to sort out this whole mess until the end. That's not to say we should never seek any justice. Okay? And, and, and it, it is to say that, like, you know, we should care for the victims. But it's not our job to sort this world out. It's not our job to sort this world out. And it wasn't Job's job to sort out why he had received suffering. It was not Job's job to do that. You know what's interesting? Marcus, uh, he, he's qu quoted this, what was it, a pastor in like Australia or something about COVID. 
a rabbi, yeah, and um, he said that COVID didn't take away our, um, uh, what is it, our security or our no, our, our certainty. COVID didn't take away our certainty. It took away our illusion of certainty. Well, what's interesting is Job, when he faced this suffering and he lost all the ownership of his possessions, Job didn't really lose ownership of his possessions. And I was just thinking about this. He lost the illusion of the ownership of his possessions. Nothing that we have is ours. And so whether you have all the money in the world or none of it at all, it's all the Lord's. And so whether he takes that away or not is up to him. And he'll do that for his glory. God, you know, Jesus came to a blind man and his disciples said, why was this man blind? Did he sin or did his, did his parents sin? And Jesus said, no, neither. This man, and I'll be honest, if I was the blind man and Jesus said, nope, He's blind to see the glory of God right now, and he heals him. If I was the blind man, other than the fact that I'd be stoked that I can see now, I'd be like, you're telling me that I just spent, I don't know, however old he was, I spent that many years being blind just so you could come and heal me one day? I, like, God, God works in ways that we don't understand. He works in ways that we don't understand. And we aren't called to know the answers. We're called to trust him. And the question is, where are we looking? Because as you see Job's heart, as, as he's faced with his suffering, all of a sudden you see him start to accuse God, right? Now, in the very beginning of the book, who was the accuser? Satan was the one accusing Job and accusing God. That's what he does. And when we, when we take our eyes and fix them on something else other than God, all of a sudden we start to go down a path. I'm not saying that Job was necessarily like a son of, the, of Satan or something like that, but he certainly was led down a path of decisions that led him to start to accuse God. And it started with him saying, cursed was the day I was born. Cursed was the day I was born. I, I want to end with this, is that as we think of this idea of hitting rock bottom, is that as believers in Jesus, there is no rock bottom. Because with, with Job, was, everything was taken. And he's left with God. And that's everything. With Job, everything was taken, but he was left with God. And God was everything. I love the passage in, in, uh, in 2 Peter. It says, for, and he's talking about Christ. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Jesus is enough. He is enough. And when everything in your world is stripped away, he is enough. And when you have everything in the world, don't look to it, because Jesus is enough. 
And we as believers must consistently look to Jesus. And it's so easy to look at other things. It is so easy to look at other things. And when I see an example of Paul like that, I, I, I'm motivated that I can, I can run this race. I can keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. I can keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. One of my favorite passages, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin, every feeling like we need to accuse God of him being evil or being, being unloving, let us lay that aside and let us run with endurance the race that was set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross. And you know what's crazy about that passage? For the joy set before him, the joy set before him was you. You were the joy set before him, and he endured the cross for you. And he despised the shame that came along with that, and now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us look to Jesus. We're going to continue to, to dig into the book of Job and continue to look at this discussion between these friends and, and Job. And as he continues, I mean, it's just like, it's like steps. It's like he takes steps. And at each step, you see Job get more and more angry and more and more accusing of God until God finally shows up. And I'm excited to go on that adventure because we're going to learn more and more of what it means that, and how important it is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because it's one step at a time that we step further and further away from God, as you'll see Job kind of do. And, but in the midst of it, you'll see Job's friends give all this terrible advice. The book of Job is so challenging but it's so good and enriching. So let us always look to Jesus. Let us keep our eyes on him. Let us continue to walk towards him. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for this book. Thank you. Um, thank you for Job because, uh, you know, we see what it's like to wrestle. Following you isn't always cut and dry. Following you isn't always easy, and sometimes you do things that frustrate the daylights out of us. Father, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. In the midst of suffering, whether it's self-inflicted or, or it's just the nature of the world that we live in and, and suffering comes to us. Father, help us to face it, keep our eyes on you, and and even find joy in the fact that when we face suffering, we can, we can be one in some way. We can be similar in, in some way to the one who suffered on our behalf. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he suffered for us and, and let us look to his suffering in our suffering. We love you, and we pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. We here at Loon Mountain Ministry are committed to loving God, serving community, and enjoying mountains. We want to thank you for being a part of our collective high five this week as we seek to be a light in the White Mountains and all around the world. Please feel free to reach out to us at info at loonmtnministry.com so we can get more connected. See you guys.